Welcome to the Born to Write podcast, dedicated to writers, authors, and the art of storytelling. Go behind the scenes where writers reveal their ups and downs and how they finally shared their stories with the world. Now, here is your host, Azul Tarones. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the episode of Born to Write. I'm super excited to have Nick Loper here. He's the guy that helps people figure out how to make money outside of their day job. He's an author, online entrepreneur. He's a host of an amazing award-winning podcast called The Side Hustle Show. You could see him on his blog, which is an amazing place, Side Hustle Nation. And as the chief side hustler, he really loves deconstructing the tactics that and strategies that are used building businesses and creating extra income. Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you. Excited to be here. Yeah. I'm really excited mainly because I've been watching you for a while and learning from you. But super excited to see this book, The Side Hustle, come out, How to Turn Your Spare Time into $1,000 a Month or More. And I was like, yes, my listeners probably want to... They're all authors, then they know how hard it is to make money from a book. And I try to tell them, look, you have to create something that goes with a book. So I'm really glad that you're here and we get to talk a little bit about that. So let's dive right in. Yeah, I wish I could tell you I had the you know, the $2,000 upsell. This is all a part of my elaborate funnel, but it's not quite there yet. But I do see it as an introduction to the brand and perhaps a better introduction to the brand than what was previously out there. So that's kind of the high level strategy with that book. Yeah. So let's talk about what do you mean the difference in between what you launched before and this book? Why is this a better position for people to get to know you and your brand? So I've been doing perma-free on Amazon since early 2015. And uh, that sparked from a conversation with Nick Stevenson from I don't know what's his like you know 10k readers or whatever his course is right and, and he's done this both in fiction and nonfiction so I was like all right well I can give it a shot in nonfiction basic idea put your book up for free on Amazon to capture this you know huge audience of potential search traffic looking for information on your topic if all else being equal they see your book alongside several others the reviews are good the content looks good but yours is free hey you might as well check yours out. And so I was doing that for several years with a book called The Side Hustle Path. It was actually the first of a series. So I had four of these books published that each featured uh, 10 different case studies from the podcast. So looking at podcast episodes from 2014, 2015, just kind of repurpose those into books. And, you know, time has this crazy way of like going by and passing. And you look back at it, it's like, well, that book from early 2015, it's not my best work. You know, some of these examples are kind of dated. This is not the world's best introduction to side hustling, to this unique brand of entrepreneurship, and to you know si- everything that Side Hustle Nation has to offer. So it started with the intention of, of rewriting it. And as I was getting into that process, ended up almost completely bulldozing the original version and kind of you're starting from scratch. There's still there's bits and pieces that kind of made the made the cut, but instead of you know having a pretty direct lead magnet in the book, which which I don't know how compelling this was in the first Side Hustle Path book. It was like, hey, get the second version free. It's like, I'll give you 10 more case studies. Like as far as, you know, list posts or ideas, like how to make different money, how to make money ideas, the subtitle of like, here's 10 ways to make extra money. That's not particularly compelling. Like All I've right. got lists on the site that are, you know, 100, 200, probably almost 300 ideas deep at this point. And so it's like 10, great, you know, and it's, and it's competing alongside on Amazon with books that promise you know, 400 or something. So like, well, you know, which one am I going to pick, even if it is free? So rewrote the book, twice, twice as long, hopefully much better structured, lots of examples from the podcast, and currently not as direct of a lead magnet call. Uh, there's a couple invites to 
kind of join Side Hustle Nation. Hey, you know, I'll send you my little guide on, you know, the five fastest ways to make more money. I'd love if you subscribe to the podcast. I'd love if you joined our community on Facebook. And I'm starting to see those people coming through the Facebook group in their inter- in their introduction saying, hey, I, I found this on Amazon. This sounds like a cool community I'm in. But that's been the strategy there. Great. So how did you, how much time did you spend thinking about the title and the subtitle? Because obviously, if you're trying to position yourself to be unique, that's a really important strategy in the sea of people using the word side hustle. How did you differentiate what your book would stand for? And what ways did you kind of look at your book title and subtitle to kind of figure that out? Yeah, I, I owned this keyword, the side hustle keyword in Google, in Amazon, in iTunes for a long time. And then this guy, Chris Gillibo, comes along and launches uh, the Side Hustle School and uh, launches this book called Side Hustle. And overall, like when he first came into this territory, I was like, come on, Chris, you know, this is my turf. What are you doing, dude? Um, But I've never seen a bigger spike in terms of interest, in terms of podcast downloads. So, you know, he brought with him this huge built-in audience that he already had and introduced this brand of entrepreneurship which was really cool. So Rising Tide definitely lifted all boats there. And I'm grateful for what Chris has done and what Chris continues to do in this space. But, you know, alongside, like, I want to rank for that term side hustle, just as he does inside of the Amazon search engine. And so that was the intention just to, you know, make the title short, simple with the value proposition at the end. So his subtitle is like, you know, idea to income in 27 days or something, which is like, fantastic. Like, here's a straightforward path. And that's how the book is, and that's how his book is broken down. Like, hey, day one, do this, day two, do this. And it's easy to follow. So I had to kind of come up with a little bit of a different angle with this and just kind of feature different business models and and examples from the show. Right. So let's talk about that. A lot of people who are writing books often will be writing in a topic where there's perhaps saturation, which is good. You want some competition. You just don't want too much. Chris Gilbo going after you. That would probably like a little scary because he could dominate that with his audience. But so you need some validation in a topic area, even in a book. A lot of people, you know, just want to write a book, but if you're going to survive on Amazon, you got to be in a niche, a place where people are looking. So a lot of the content you write isn't necessarily new. It isn't necessarily uh, revolutionary. It's curated. It's really clear. It's precise, has so many great examples of people that have used these methods. You've used wonderful examples in your book, which I appreciated. Uh, how did you decide or how did you look at, well, look, I'm going to write content that's already out there, books of people are already kind of tackling. What was your thinking about that? How did you attack that approach? It was kind of dictated from the outline. Like I had some, you know, I mean, I can look at the podcast data to see which episodes were the most popular, which episodes, you know, had received the most positive feedback, the most downloads. But, and I can look at like, well, which ones were my favorite? Like the, I know it's a great call when I hang up being like, well, crap, I could do that. Like, shoot, you know, I should, I should do that. And that's like, that's how I know it's a, it's a good interview. But the outline kind of dictated where to go. And this is kind of how I've structured a lot of these books is starting with the outline of, um, and in this case, it was you know, centered on the big three business models, selling a service, selling a product, and kind of the audience or attention business, similar to like Facebook or Google, like build a, build a cool resource and then figure out how to monetize it later, which is super flexible because you could also sell a product or service to that audience. But then it was a matter of, okay, diving into the archives and saying, okay, who can I find to illustrate examples of starting a service business, of starting a product business, of starting an audience business? This, you know, maybe it's an affiliate marketing model, or maybe, you know, how did they get customers? How did they figure out what to write about? And that's kind of how it was pieced together. And 
that's how a lot of these books have kind of come together. It's like outline first and then kind of fill in the pieces, which is way less intimidating than opening up like that blank Word document and like looking at the blinking cursor and be like, all right, chapter one, what's it going to be? <laughs> right. Well, I really, the piece that really started to, to get me thinking a little bit about how you were working through this content was that the chapter we talked about, the seven proven frameworks for generating business ideas. Talk a little bit about that particular chapel and how, chapter and how you are able to help people kind of get at the heart of like generating income, finding out what's an idea that's worth talking about or working on. Because I think a lot of people here probably are interested in lots of things, but this is also something they should be thinking about if they're generating a book concept is to think through these kinds of concepts. Could you guide us through that? This was actually repurposed from a blog post on the site because this is a really common thing that I hear from my audience. You know, Every year in the survey, 40-50% are still like in this camp of, I'm still looking for a business idea. I'm still looking for a side hustle idea. So a lot of my stuff is geared toward getting those people off the sidelines and into the game. And so this was kind of created by, you know, looking at the body of work and, and the people that I've talked to and saying, like, that's one of the first questions I usually ask, like, how do you get the idea for this? Like, you started a food truck blog, like, you're not a, do you, did you own a food truck? You know, what was the story behind that? How'd you come up with that idea? Or you started blogging about, you know, Girl Scout activity guides, you know, how'd you come up with that? Like, where did that come from? Or you started selling XYZ product, like, how did you come up with that? And through those conversations, like, there's really only a handful of different ways that that happens. I saw, you know, someone else doing something similar. So I decided to put my own unique spin on it, or I tried to decide, or I decided to try that in a different industry, different vertical, or was, or maybe I, you know, kind of combined my interest in topic A with my experience in area B, and that made it a unique, a sweet spot. Like my friend Brian Orr, I don't know if he's in the book or not. He runs this HVAC company in Central Florida. And in that role, he's in charge of like training new technicians. But on, on the side from that, for several years, like he was super into podcasting and narrative podcasts and producing shows for other people. He ended up combining those two to start like the HVAC school podcast, where it's like, I can take the training material that I'm already an expert at, that I'm already doing every day for work, and put that into an audio format to reach a much wider audience, kind of a nationwide audience instead of, you know, people or, you know, new hires just locally. And he's done amazingly well with that. Like he's created this whole, you know, super niche, nerdy community around this HVAC technician stuff, which, you know, never would have, I never knew it was a business. And I don't, I don't think he did either starting out, but so stuff like that. And it's been, because, because nobody you ask was like, well, I Googled side hustle ideas and I just, uh, you know, scrolled down to number 17 on the list. I was like, oh, that sounded good. Like nobody ever says that, but right. so many people actually search that. And it's like, most of these ideas come internally. And there's a ton of like, you know, business in a box kind of like, hey, follow this, follow this model. And that stuff can totally work. But for the people who are saying, like, I am still looking for an idea, you know, you've obviously come across those and they have an appeal to you. So it's like, okay, let's find something that's already inside you. Right. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about how, you know, this book, obviously, if you started with Permafree, you weren't using the book as the revenue generating piece. Where are you hoping that the revenue comes from? Because I want lots of authors to learn that even if you started with a book, you could still grow revenue on the other side where maybe they weren't thinking about it. They were thinking maybe they had some magic idea that they would sell millions of copies of their book. And I try to help them be realistic and say, well, if the brand is good enough, the conversation is strong enough. If your messaging is good, you'll attract the right people. 
So what are some things that you've done now that you track people? Because I know you're specifically side hustle, so we got to think of it. And if you have an example of somebody else that's taken a platform and brought people to that one you shared was great. How could people leverage their knowledge experience to kind of gather a side hustle that could go along with that? Yeah, a couple of things. On the book monetization side, I love publishing as a side hustle. Like It's one of these really cool things where you can create this asset once, sell it over and over again. It was a really eye-opening moment for me when I got my first royalty check from Amazon. And it was less than $50, but it was still like, I'm a professional author. Like It was really cool. This was back in 2012. And that book has continued to sell for years and years and years. And that's really awesome. But it's never been a job replacing level of income. My best performing book made, I want to say like 18, 19 grand in its first year. Like that was, you know, with an email list of probably 35,000 people at the launch that was, you know, all cylinders firing, trying to market this thing. And it made a ton of like not complaining about that. That was fantastic. But it still wouldn't have been enough to like, you know, live off of to like replace your income or replace your day job. So you kind of see the people doing well in, in publishing are the people who could, you know, continually pump out those eighteen, nineteen thousand dollar books every few months and like have that be a portfolio strategy. Or they are approaching it in such a way that like the book is kind of a top of the funnel piece of content. And you see this with Jeff Walker and you see this with Donald Miller and Tony Robbins even. Like you can buy the book for ten bucks or you could go to Tony's ten thousand dollar seminar. Like it's a low priced entry into their world. And Permafree just takes it one step further. So I'm sacrificing my royalty up front, but saying, okay, if I can attract a long-term follower, a long-term fan, a long-term subscriber, like that could be worth far more than the, you know, three to seven dollars I might earn from selling the book. So in terms of specific monetizations, like the way Side Hustle Nation makes money today is through sponsorships on the show, which increase as the audience grows and affiliate offers through the site. Those are the two biggest revenue streams for me today. And so in the book, there are a handful of affiliate offers presented like through examples like, hey, you know, we'll, what's one of them that's in there? Oh, Jessica LaRue. She is from the sellingfamily.com who you know, teaches people how to start a retail arbitrage business on Amazon, like buy low, sell high on Amazon. Look, you could do it at your local clearance, Walgreens or, you know, big lots was the example she gave on the podcast. And she teaches a course on this, on this stuff too. Her and her husband have sold like a million dollars worth of stuff on Amazon. And it's been life-changing for them and it's been life-changing for many of their students as well. So if you want to learn more about this specific side hustle, here's what she told me on the show. If you want to learn more, go check out her free seven-day mini course affiliate link, right? So if somebody eventually buys something, that's an opportunity to monetize directly through the book, but really just trying to impress people with the content enough that they like, they want to learn more. They come subscribe to the show, they stick around, they join the email list, they join the Facebook group, and they become kind of a long-term, like they build side hustle as part of their like identity, right? Think of, you know, the guys from Choose FI, like the Choose FI podcast? Oh, I don't know those guys, but I know the podcast. Yeah. Incredibly popular podcast came out of nowhere, like in the financial independence space, tens of thousands of listeners every month. I don't know how much they're doing very, very well. And what's cool about it is like they're marketing this financial independence lifestyle where, you know, this isn't a, a one and done type of thing, set it and forget it. This is like a multi-year, maybe multi-decade journey. And they're just setting themselves up to be kind of at the center of that, to be the advocate for that. And I think that's a really powerful thing to try and market. And I think the side hustle stuff is too. Like if you want to build a meaningful business, it's not going to happen tomorrow. 
like it's going to take a while and I want to be kind of in your camp to help you along the way. Right. And we had episode 38, Born Right, we had Steve Scott on here, who's done a great job of creating a living as an author. Talk about how he does his sales, how he sticks in a niche, researches it and keeps going, keeps fulfilling that niche. And then also, we, we also talked to Head Ryan Levesque on here, when we talked a little bit about how to find the right idea. And it applies to books as well, that you really need to know what people are searching for in order to write a book. And obviously, trying to make a, a living on the side or keeping your day job is a big search category for people. So in you owning it, or at least being at the top as much as you can, uh, it helps. <laughs> so like some people may, they may not think that the thing that they have knowledge or skill about, or even what they have uniquely about themselves can be potentially a topic for a book or can be built from a book to something else. So let's say, for example, another friend who was on the show, Alex Barker, he is a pharmacist who basically was trying to help pharmacists get the best jobs possible by understanding how to reposition yourself to be indispensable, which is the name of his book. His brand is called Happy PharmD, which I guess PharmD is the endearment or the short version of pharmacist. So his whole business is built around coaching pharmacists to get better jobs or to be more successful in their work as a pharmacist, because I guess it's really competitive and it's the jobs are, you know, not everyone wants to slug behind a counter at a Walgreens somewhere, you know, working night shifts after going to pharmacy school. So he's taken his book. He's used it to leverage more people who don't know of him, don't know of what he does and to educate them and then draw them into his coaching, draw them into his world, his community and help them learn about like what they can do. Yeah. I'm looking at this book now, 50 something, mostly five star reviews. He's doing really well. Yeah. He's done really well with that. And one of the things that we had to do is you have to build a tribe of people before you write a book and you have to build the tribe of people after you write a book. You can't just do it in between. And that's the thing to think about is as people are writing, what is it you're creating? What's the conversation you want to own? And Being Indispensable is a great book because the title is easy to remember. It goes with the focus of the book. It elevates and accents his brand so that he continues to own the space as the go-to pharmacist if you want to be successful in and outside of pharmacy. It's been a lot of years since I've caught up with Alex. Like this makes me want to see want to get want to see what he's up to. He was he was working on a ton of different projects before really settling on the the PharmD stuff. Right. No, he and when I met him, he had just I think I listened to his podcast, which was Sixty Six Day Experiment. Yeah. Something like that, right? And I thought it was fascinating. I was cracking up. I was like, this guy's going into his local planning and urban office and asking to change the name of his street to his name. He was just doing these <laughs> random experiences. Yeah, like these rejection therapy experiments. Yeah. I thought it was great. I thought, oh, I want to meet this guy. So we connected. He reached out to me and I was like, oh, I like your podcast. He's like, you listen to my podcast? I was like, yeah, it was cool. <laughs> but we have been a mastermind ever since. And he was every which way. He had something in every kind of possible pocket you can think of. And then he really focused and niched down and has really done really, really well. In fact, he doing side hustle work, he paid off his house 27 years early and it became debt free. So, you know, all these ways of thinking, sometimes you have to do focus on one niche, but it takes a while. You can't just expect that it's going to be like you said, oh, this works perfect because it isn't always that perfect. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So I listened to your audiobook too. So I read the book. I like to just listen to audiobooks on if the author reads it. So I listened to you as well. How did you decide to do your own recording? <laughs> what and did you think? Like honest feedback. Honest feedback was, it's really hard to read that slow. And I'm really grateful you did because <laughs> most podcasters, we can't slow down to save our lives. But you did an awesome job. I, I enjoyed it. I was entertained. I could. You were personally connected to these stories so that it made it entertaining. I could tell that you somehow knew this person or you helped this person or it was a letter in you know, email. So that was cool. I liked hearing your voice. 
and your cadence, your pace was perfect. So if I sped it up or slowed it down, I didn't feel like I lost you. So I liked that. I thought you did a great job. I was impressed. So that's why I wanted to ask you, did you record it with your own equipment at home? What decided you to do it? I tried. So uh, just so you know, as a user, I was like, Nick would like to know this. I couldn't, I have Audible subscription, so I could have done it that way, but I wanted to know what it was like to per- get the book and then go get the whisper, the sync the audio that does on your Kindle. Cause I wanted to see how different the audio is and what was the experience like. And actually it was pretty cool. I'd never done that with a book. So I figured I'd try yours. So oh, cool. it was, it was awesome. I am. Um, I like that feature. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much identical as the written version. Cause that's what I used to narrate it. And I just did it from yeah this home closet podcasting studio. Right. So what was the preparation? How long did it take you to record it? Because getting it right, if you're reading the book and getting it to match up to the reading takes a lot of practice. It did. And I think it was helpful having written it really recently. Like I said, you know, wrote it and then narrated it almost immediately afterwards. And so the the words and the kind of flow of it were still fresh in my head. It was way easier this time for whatever reason than buy buttons was in 2016. I had a heck of a time just like trying to spit it. I would do like six, seven, eight takes of like one sentence which was just like, apparently <laughs> apparently that was not a very well written sentence because I can't even read it and I wrote it <laughs> and, and that happened a few times here like you kind of stumble and you just you know retake 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 and it's totally fine and then I had an editing service or an editor that you know cleaned that up for me it was easier the second time around so I probably knocked it out in a couple days worth of recording it was less than a week to do and just you know would take a break to give my voice a rest and then you know pick up where I left off no, that's great. I think people will forgive imperfections if the author reads it because they want to hear the voice, especially if you're a podcaster. Can't imagine if people listened to Pat Flynn's book and it was somebody else, some British guy reading it. It would be not good. Yeah. And that's really the, again, one of the big goals is to get people to subscribe to the show. And so it would, it made sense or it would, it would have been weird to hire somebody else to do it. Right. And it, it in this day and age with a pretty inexpensive microphone and a pair of headphones plugging in your computer, you could do it. So a lot of people who are listening, if you don't have a podcast, that's no problem. It's easy to get the equipment to do the recording. And there's wonderful sound engineers that can take your your stuff and kind of work with it. As long as you have some of the basic things that are cleaned up, which is have a, a room that's not too much echo, decent microphone, and really be able to read it. So I talked to the engineers who did Will of Fly and also the book super fans that Pat Flynn's doing. And I'm only intimately related to his book recordings because I ask him lots of questions, but I asked the engineer specifically, like, what would you tell someone who was trying to come to your studio to record? How would you budget? How would you know? And he says, I make them read a chapter and then tell me how long it took them to get it right. And that's how I gauge basically how I think long it'll take me. Because when they come in the studio to read, I've got to be able to re-engineer, have them stop, go back and fix things. And if it, if they think, you know, it takes so much longer than they think because of the way in which we're, you know, they're in a little bit of pressure because they're in front of somebody. They can't, the ums can't be there. They have to speak clearly, precisely, read at the right speed and tempo the entire time. So it was really interesting to hear about the amount of cost that goes into them factoring, but also that the engineering part is the, isn't the most expensive. It's the studio time and the engineer is sitting there waiting for you to get it right. <laughs> like, come on, spit it out already, guy. Right. And you're trying to make it sound like you're not reading because that could be awkward too. Right. No, I, I totally agree. There is one book I, I really like the content, but the author really makes me struggle. It, yeah, it's just his voice. It's just the way he reads. It's really hard. So I relate to that. Let's talk a little bit about your launch. How did 
you know, obviously going on a podcast is a great way to share your knowledge uh, to an audience. What else are you doing or what else have you done to get reviews, downloads, or attract attention for your book? So this was kind of a weird one because it was an updated title. It kind of slid in under the old listing, which already had a a pretty good bank of positive reviews, probably had 200 mostly five-star reviews. And so that was one, that was the original goal of updating the book was like, well, this title already has momentum on Amazon. Like, I don't want to start from scratch. And so it's kind of a weird launch because I didn't really, I wanted to wait until the audiobook was available to kind of publicize it to say, like, hey, all three versions of the book are now available, which I think makes your listing look more legit as even as a, especially as a self-published author to say like, oh, he's got a paperback, he's got an audiobook, like this guy must be, must be for real. But really the goal, you know, was not to sell this to my existing audience because they, you know, in a lot of cases they know these stories. Like the idea is to attract new customers on Amazon. So outside of, you know, the Facebook post, it's like, hey, I, m- I made a thing, you know, go check it out here. It's free. I haven't done a ton of promotion to the existing audience. I've, you know, blogged about it a little bit and, um, and just posted a little bit more about it today in, in my progress report. But I, I guess the only benefit to, since it's free, to promoting it to the existing audience would be to try and spike the rank to get additional exposure in kind of like the, you know, top 100 free books on Amazon. Right. And that's a really great strategy. And you kind of have to keep constantly getting reviews, which is really fun and challenging at the same time, you know, because you, you kind of get tired of asking people, but you have to just like for podcasts or anything else. If you don't, they come in much slower. So you have to ask for reviews. And I always encourage authors to think about reviews this way. Look, reviews are like the person you, you loaned $10 to. It doesn't seem like a lot. And so you feel kind of, I don't want to ask, you know, like it's not really that much money to be asking for 10 bucks back, but like it is my 10 bucks. So you feel, you know, that's what (laughs) reviews feel like to me. So you kind of have to change the narrative. It's like, you got to think of they, they borrowed a thousand bucks and you wouldn't stop asking until you got it. And I think that's just the uncomfortability factor we have about it. The other thing is like, you got to educate authors to teach their reviewers a couple simple things. One, you want to tell them that they can always change a review. Most people don't know that. They've never really left reviews. And if they have, they were negative. So you, you got to tell them, look, Amazon lets you go back and edit reviews. So if you, want to do something because you read you know, the first three chapters and you're saying, hey, I've just got into this book. I read the first three chapters and it's awesome. I'll report back. You can. The second thing is help them realize that they don't have to read the whole book to leave a review. They can definitely say what they like about the book or chapter three really grabbed me because of X. Because people buy books they don't read and they probably bought your book because they care and love you, but they don't necessarily read it. I mean, I think of all the great books I bought that I haven't read that have I intended to read. I like the author and I just never got around to it. So you got to help people understand that they, they feel guilty for not doing it. They feel bad that they don't know how to leave a review or that they don't think that they can do a good job. So they just don't do it. So it's just so much education you have to do in helping people get reviews as well as asking for the thousand dollars they borrowed from you kind of feeling. I don't know what your experience is when getting reviews or anything like that, but that's what I tell people like people like Alex, like Alex, you got to keep asking. I know it's a lot, but if you do, it makes a difference. It seeds you in a way that you other things can't seed you in. Yeah, it's such a it's such a pain because they're so important for your listing, for social proof, and you know, somebody lands on that for, on that page the first time, and I've seen people do this like they you know build up all this hype. Oh, you know, my book is launching on this day, and you know they don't have this launch team in place, so you know they they go and promote the book on launch day, 
and it's a ghost town, zero reviews. And it's like, oh my gosh, you're missing this huge opportunity. Like, you know, if you just had 10, like you just got to hit double digits, I think is, is some sort of like mental barrier to get to. If you could just get to 10 or 11 or 12, you know, so it's not, you know, just 10, like you're doing so much better. And, you know, and then you think you're, you'll see much higher conversions. But let me, and that's one way. So I have, um, this year I started an Alexa skill, an Alexa flash briefing skill called uh, the Money Making Minute. And my friend who convinced me to do this has a skill he calls the 30 second money tip. And he's like, when I got to 50, 60, 70 reviews, like that's when the growth really started to accelerate. And so in January, I had this like daily task to ask three people to leave reviews. And he just like graded on my soul. Like it was just like an awful task I like dreaded doing, especially for, you know, a book is one thing, but like to leave a review for this skill, which most people like have never done before. They don't know how it's like a weird thing to, you know, enable a skill. And like, if you don't have an echo, it was just killed me to do. And it was like, so just kind of tabled it. And I think the growth of that project kind of suffered because of that. But it was just like, I don't enjoy doing this. Now, going back to the marketing thing, I was going to ask you a question because I've been trying to set up some AMS ads for the side hustle and they keep getting rejected for an um, an unsubstantiated marketing claim. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like this book doesn't claim to be, you know, the number one thing, the best selling thing, you know, like what is the claim? And finally got support to write back and said, it's your subtitle, how to turn your spare time into a thousand dollars a month or more. We need to see some third party verification of that. And I was like, you want me to like get tax returns from the people like featured in the book? Like what, what do you mean there? It's so weird. Like I've never seen that any of the other like subtitles of the book, which all have like equally, you know, hyperbolic claims, where it's like, I don't know what, like, I, I never came across that before. Have you, have you seen that either in your own ads or for clients? I haven't seen that yet, but I knew that Amazon was going to clamp down on claims for income, that it was inevitable, but I didn't, I haven't heard anybody who's done that, had trouble with ads. In fact, I, I was talking to Brian Cohen, who's you know, done so much on uh, Amazon ads recently. And I'll actually ask him that specific question and see what he's come across. But I wish I had more insight to that. But the, the thing I know that they're really looking at these income claims in any way they can to kind of figure out how to validate them, which, you know, in some regards is great, you know, because you don't want the whole Amazon to be filled with spam books about how they can make, you know, X, X millions of dollars if they just do this. But it's also yeah. difficult when you actually have a legitimate claim and you could show evidence of how they can do this. And you have all the, the whole, whole books about that. That's what your whole book's about. Like, examples yeah, it's of, like, it's not a theory. It's like, it's based on these, you know, real people. I, I, I'm trying to wrap my head around what they're, what they're looking for. Their suggestion was to change the subtitle. It's like, well, that's more work than right. <laughs> you, you probably realize. It'd be probably easier to go find three people willing to give you income proof <laughs> than to yeah. do that. No, I haven't, I haven't figured that out. If I do, I'll send you a note. But one of the things that people have told me before is that, is to looking at how they're comparing you. So if they're comparing you, and that's probably why Chris Gillibo did his subtitle the way he did, is because they're looking at the like uh, categories. They're in the top performing ones. And if they're performing without this or whatever, they're creating these interesting algorithms around those metrics. So I'm not exactly sure. I wish I had a great answer, but I'll be thinking about it a lot <laughs> now that you've mentioned yeah, it. I'm curious. Like I'm trying to give you money and, and just as a test initially to see like, okay, can I you know, drive some consistent, affordable downloads this way. I don't know. Right. It was, 
kind of frustrating. Yeah, that sounds frustrating. I'll ask Brian and maybe we'll even bring it up on an, on the episode he comes on the show and we can try to figure out, help you out. <laughs> All right. Sounds awesome. Good. Well, let me just finish out by saying, so will writing books continue to be in your strategy or is this one you just wanted to fix up, get it more current and modern and it's going to be there? Or are you going to use books as a strategy method for other projects or other things you're doing on your side hustle nation work? Yeah, it's funny. I, I'd usually, you know, books kind of like hit you upon the head in a way. And, uh, it becomes something that you have to get done, at least in my case, versus like, you know, at the start of the year, okay, I'm going to do this particular title. And like, that's going to be my focus. It's like, even going back to like, uh, the, the work smarter book from 2014, like it kind of started out as a, as a blog post idea. And then it, you know, grew to 5,000 words, 10,000 words. It's like, okay, this is a little bit of a bigger project, but it's like, it becomes something that you just have to write. You got to get it down. You got to get it out into the world. And Amazon is an awesome place to do that because anybody can put something up for sale, like on the world's biggest store. I just love that as a, you know, buy buttons strategy as a marketplace for discovery to connect with people. Super, super cool. So undoubtedly, yes, book publishing will remain a part of the strategy. Not sure what the next title uh, will be, but always, uh, I mean, I'm sure it will come from from other common themes from the show. That seems to be the the Tim Ferriss approach. Hey, I'm going to talk to all these interesting people, and uh, now I've got tools of titans as I pull out different bits and pieces, and and I've seen lots of other people do that. So just following following in the footsteps. That's awesome. Yeah, and I think that that's the strategy overall. Is you know, it's a place where if you have some time, you could create a book. You don't need to invest a lot of money to do it. You could find a niche you like, find one that's profitable. It's hard to, it is really challenging to sell memoirs because if you're not famous, I mean, what's interesting about your life is really hard to convince people, but I'm not discouraging people from doing it. I'm encouraging them to find themselves in the book. And if the value is in there, do it. But there's so many niches waiting. And regardless of the time of year, whether it's a recession or not, books are affordable enough luxury that people will always want to read books, even if it's a hard time because you could drum up a few bucks to get lost in the world, get information about something you don't know without worrying about whether or not it's going to break the bank. So I think it's pretty recession-proof as far as like a topic, an idea, a focus, but it also can grow and help you monetize other areas like drive them to your blog, your traffic, your offer, your expertise. I have plenty of my authors who use this as a way to leverage their speaking career, get on stages and make an impact in a different way than just a book. Nick, I'm so excited you're here. I'm so glad we finally get to meet. I look forward to connecting more and more. And thank you so much. Again, those of you who are looking to learn more about how to get a side hustle, how to start a side hustle, what possibly that could be, please go to the site, the Side Hustle Nation, and we'll have the book linked up in the show notes so that you can go get the book. It's free. It's out there. It's for you. And it's really helpful. Thanks, Nick. Thanks so much, man. Uh, We'll catch up soon. Join me again for another interview for great authors who talk about their story how they got there, and why they feel like they're born to write. Please subscribe to this podcast, leave an honest review, and you can always find me at coachazul.com.